Hello, everybody. I am Drew Duncan. You guys are checking me out live on Block 50 Radio. Do not forget that Facebook, Twitter, and Instagram is all at Drew Duncan Radio. Additionally, Block 50 Radio is all over social media at Block 50 Radio, Facebook, Twitter, and Instagram. Block50Radio.com is online where you can listen live on all day, 24-7. And do not forget that we are wherever you are listening to podcasts. Simply tell your device to play Block 50 Radio on iTunes, Deezer, Spreaker, Google Podcasts, etc. Wherever you are listening, we are there. All right, everybody, plenty to get to today. Obviously, we're going to be talking about the NFL draft from over the weekend. I'm going to narrow it down to just a couple of different things. Obviously, like I said, I'm a Broncos fan, Eagles fan, so I'm going to keep it simple with that. Just kind of go generally speaking in terms of the draft. We're not going to try and cover all 32 teams over here, okay? So if I miss something, sorry. You can hit me up and maybe I'll do it, you know, in the comment section and I'll, I'll tell you what I think from there. Uh, in terms of the NBA, obviously plenty to talk about. Jimmy Butler, uh, man, you know, we're going to see what's going to go on with that. And, uh, of course, there is sad news in the NFL today. So... Uh, what we're going to do, first of all, we're not going to sit around and talk about safety measures with pools and all that kind of stuff. Okay, people, stop it. I see you on the comment section. It's just, it's too early. It's just not right. It, it's not the right time. Okay. So what we're going to do is we're just going to do a moment of silence for about 10 seconds. You could choose to do with whatever that time you want to. Uh, but the loss of, of a child with Shaq Barrett, um, reports are saying just a death in a pool. Every parent's worst nightmare has come to life. So uh, we're just going to do a moment of silence and let Shaq Barrett know that we're with him. All right, awkward transition, but hey, back to it. I'm on my little Wayne right now. All right, so uh, the NFL draft, one of the things I had talked about with the Denver Broncos is I felt like they needed to go O-line, wide receiver, and running back. Obviously, they got rid of Melvin Gordon finally. We've already talked about his struggles with fumbling the football like crazy. The Broncos had eight different running backs last season because of injuries and whatnot. You know, Javante Williams, you, you tear any MCL or ACL, it's just not a good day. And it's very sad because potentially his NFL career is gone with a lot of promise. The fact remains, though, that as a Bronc, you know, as a team, you still have to be willing to cover your own basis. Now, Denver did go O-line in the seventh round. Pick that kid out of Oregon at center. I'm okay with that. Uh, the Broncos went wide receiver. I'm okay with that. The inside linebacker pick, I'm just not really sure about. Look, I understand that the Broncos at linebacker have been missing a guy like a Vaughn Miller. Over the years, linebacker's been such a huge position for the Denver Broncos and a part of that Orange Crush defense that has been called over the years. You've had guys like Vaughn Miller, John Mobley, Carl Mecklenburg, Simon Fletcher, et cetera, et cetera. You've had guys 
that have been so key in those roles at linebacker, really more loved by Broncos fans for the most part than anything, it's hard to find another Von Miller, all right? A Von Miller, a Greg Lloyd, those guys aren't out there just walking around town willy-nilly, ready to play ball like that in the NFL. Let's just keep it 100, all right? So my thing is, while I understand the pick, I still just don't agree with it. Now, I know that, you know, the Broncos are probably still going to, you know, think about Javante Williams, but, you know, his timetable, who knows what's going to happen with that and who knows how he's going to play even if and when he does come back. We've seen what happened to Teddy Teddy Bridgewater's career. You know, just not everybody's Adrian Peterson. I mean, that dude bounced back from that injury and, of course, comeback player of the year, deservedly so. But not everybody's Adrian Peterson. AP is a different breed of of athlete. Let's just put it that way. So the fact of the matter is I did want Denver to go running back. I'm great with the wide receiver pick. I'm great with the O-line pick. That Denver offense was just horrible by the season's end. The Broncos offense, you know, their line ranked 20th, I believe, in the NFL. They were one of the worst in, in drop passes. I think they were 12th in the NFL by season's end. I mean, they improved a little bit from, you know, the first five, six weeks of the NFL in terms of, you know, penalties and drop passes. But, I mean, you look at Jerry Judy alone, and, I mean, it was a 47% catch rate in the first six seasons of the season. The Broncos were just bad all around. All right? They were just bad all around, and because of what they gave up over the last couple of seasons to get guys like Russell Wilson, et cetera, it is not a whole lot there. There's not a whole lot there in terms of picks. So it's a real catch-22, and it's going to be very limited, and guys that you do want are going to be gone. So whether or not Denver wanted to go running back, I don't know. I felt like there was a pretty good pull there. Obviously, Deuce Vaughn got taken later on. So, we'll see. I thought Deuce Vaughn was the best running back in all of college football. How that man was not even in the running for the Heisman is really kind of beyond me because he carried that Kansas State football team. I know that people are going to look to Martinez, but look, when he was hurt, uh, that backup really didn't do a whole lot for Kansas State. And Deuce Vaughn carried that football team And they were in games that they had no business being in. And they were winning games that they had no business winning. Because that defense wasn't the greatest that we've ever seen at Kansas State. And, you know, even though it's Big 12, people could talk about, you know, the lack of defense all they want to. And that's fine. I'll accept that because it's the truth. Uh, But regardless, the point is that defense wasn't doing them any favors. So, Deuce Vaughn being the all-around running back that he is, I would have loved to have seen him in Denver somehow, some way. But regardless, Denver goes O-line. They go wide receiver. They go linebacker. We'll see how it plays out. You know, Peyton's got a bit of a road in front of him. And, you know, the rumor is, is that he was assembling a crew during the offseason, getting his guys together. So, We'll see what it's like with his coaching staff in there. Uh, Familiarity is a good thing uh, when it comes to them, but when it comes to a new team, eh, you might need to give Denver a little bit of time. So 
We'll see how that works out. Now, in terms of everybody else in the NFL draft, the first round, you know, obviously a lot of trades. The one draft pick I can say that I, I truly, at the end of the day, don't understand is Anthony Richardson. Look, I, I know that Florida can go ahead and, and take credit, and I've said this all last season long. People want to know why the SEC gets the favoritism that it does, and that's because Florida was really not a good football team. They weren't. They were not a good football team. And they just ran through Utah, who ended up in the Pac-12 championship, by the way, like it was nothing. The pick that I don't understand with Anthony Richardson is, you know, people talk about Lamar Jackson being a running back playing quarterback. To me, if there's anybody doing that, it's Anthony Richardson. What do you have, 15 picks in 13 games last season? 12 games? I mean, that's not a good look. I don't, I don't care if a guy only played one season. That does not bother me. Literally at all. All right? It, it's not about the amount of games played in terms of experience to me. There are guys that come out, and it's like they're NFL ready. You know it from their freshman season. That's just all there is to that. But the fact that he played just that one season and had that many turnovers, I don't see it. And the fact that they compared that guy to Donovan McNabb really upset me. Because to me, Donovan McNabb should be in the NFL Hall of Fame. And it bothers me that they're making this comparison to him to a guy that was such a great quarterback, completely underrated in every sense of the word you could think of, carried that Eagles team before and after T.O. And you mean to tell me that that's the guy that they're going to compare? I, I just, I don't see it, man. I really don't. You know, part of why McNabb went to Syracuse was because he wanted to prove that he was a quarterback that could throw the football. He didn't get a lot of D1 offers. Nebraska was one of the other guys there. And, you know, back then in that time frame, Nebraska was still an option-heavy football team. And even though Syracuse ran a lot of that themselves, they were still willing to throw the football. Obviously, Florida, over the years we've seen, whoever coaches that team is not scared, right? The old ball coach, Steve Spurrier, with the fun and gun. You had Urban Meyer not long after that, right? You just the any coach that goes into that position doesn't really seem afraid to throw the football. And as far as being an athlete goes, there's no denying what Anthony Richardson is capable of once he tucks that ball and he runs. I mean, that guy makes some incredible plays. You throw him in at a wide receiver position, tight end position. Maybe some sort of fullback or scat back. I'm telling you what, there's not a whole lot he can't do with the ball in his hands. Except not throw interceptions. I just, I don't personally see it, but it is what it is. Obviously, teams were moving up to get picks. You know, to me, for my money, the best quarterback that came out of that, because I think it was four quarterbacks in the first five picks that were taken in the NFL draft, was C.J. Stroud out of Ohio State. Now, normally, I would say to you that Ohio State quarterbacks are just not going to get it done, okay? And I was critical of Stroud throughout the season, but 
I told people from the beginning, and I felt this to be correct, and for the most part, I was, I feel I was still pretty right, that when I was watching college football, I just felt like there was only one team that could, could truly compete with Georgia. And it was because of their offense at Proud West, led by Stroud, obviously, and that was Ohio State. But I didn't think that they had enough defense, and I didn't think that they had enough special teams. Okay? And we saw the result, right? Defensively, they could not stop Georgia. And then, of course, we saw how it ended up with special teams uh, misfiring in that game for them. So, I think that game really put C.J. Stroud on the map, especially after the way that they had struggled with Michigan during the regular season. So that game against Georgia really, I think, set him apart from a lot of other quarterbacks in college football. I think he's better than Bryce Young. I think he was the best available quarterback that there was in college football this year. I know a lot of people were high on on Levis coming into the draft. I know a lot of people were high on Hooker coming into the draft. Of course, the repetitive conversation about his injury, you know, people saying that that was holding him back, still ended up getting drafted just later on. I I think that Stroud was better than Hooker. I I just feel like for my money, if I'm a team and I'm taking a first-round guy that I think can ultimately be a game-changer for you, Stroud was the guy. Now, I'm not saying he's going to pan out, but I'm just saying to me the best upshot was with him. Ohio State, this was not the best overall football team that they had ever produced. And he, you could say that he took them to a place that they wouldn't have been had he not been there. And for those who are wondering, yes, I believe that they deserved to be in the college football playoff. It's just that Jim Harbaugh really happened to have their number. So I, I, that's my personal opinion on it. You know, obviously the Ravens were such a huge topic of discussion because of Lamar Jackson. They went wide receiver. They got Zay Flowers. Um, you know, obviously they're trying to get some talent to match Odell Beckham Jr. You've got all that speed now between those two guys. Odell can make any catch. Even when he's not open, he's still open. You're you're giving Lamar the weapons around you that you need. And as much as I would have thought off, offensive linemen, again, because now you're protecting your $260 million investment, the fact of the matter is it's okay to go ahead and go wide receiver with that first pick, I think, because now you've given Odell Beckham Jr., and really the rest of the NFL world, what you've told them is we're going to line up OBJ on one side, we're going to line this kid up on the other side, and we can put him just about anywhere we want to, slot, wide out, maybe even scat back, running back. We can get him into some screen plays. Now as a defense, you can't just zone in on Odell Beckham Jr. There's just too much speed with Zay Flowers. You're going to have to account for that. And I'm going to tell you what, you go man-to-man on that football team, you might run into some problems because they all streak down the field, even if they're not open for whatever reason. Now with man-to-man, unless you're running some sort of spy on Lamar, he's got 20 yards ahead of him. And that is a place you just do not want to be in when you've got a guy like Lamar Jackson tucking it and going. I think that's pretty simple. So there's that. 
I am Drew Duncan. We're live on Block 50 Radio. Do not forget that Block50Radio.com is online all day, every day. And, of course, you can listen wherever you're listening to podcasts. Simply tell your device to play Block 50 Radio on iTunes, Spreaker, Deezer, Google Podcasts, etc. Wherever you're listening, we are there. And, of course, Block 50 Radio is online. Block 50 Radio, Facebook, Twitter, and Instagram. And, of course, yours truly, Facebook, Twitter, and Instagram is all at Drew Duncan Radio. The NBA, obviously, game one, Knicks, Heat, and boy, everything is going great for Miami, and then Jimmy Butler rolls his ankle. And if you saw that replay, the look on Eric Spolstra's face. Now, I'm not one for reading lips, but I'm pretty sure I know what he said. All right. That is potentially the most devastating blow that you will ever see to a team's playoff run in the history of the NBA playoffs. Now, they won that game. They beat the Knicks because they bottled up Brunson. All right. Defensively, there's not a whole lot to complain about there from Miami. Gave up 100. Jimmy doing everything that he could. God bless him because you would see him just standing on the outside after he hurt his ankle. And then on top of that, he shot those free throws on his Kobe Bryant. Right? So, you watch that. There's no way it's not heartbreaking. Eventually, Miami had to call a timeout and yank him out of the game. Now, we saw other guys step up. But by that time, Miami was in control, and it was going to be really difficult for New York to come back anyways, the way that they were playing offensively. He's questionable for game two. And I hate to break it to everybody, but a sprain a lot of times can be worse than a tear or anything else because there will be moments with a sprain where you feel like you're okay. But then you go to step on it or play on it or whatever, and you are making it 10 times worse. Because a sprain can actually take a little bit more time to heal than a tear or a break. This is more than likely the worst-case scenario for the Miami Heat. And for the New York Knicks, now they can go and adjust into game two, knowing that he's probably not going to be there. And even if he is... He's not going to be playing the way that he has been. Jimmy Butler has been playing out of his mind basketball, and there's really no other way to say it. You can come up with any clever clip quip you want to. The fact of the matter is nobody has been playing better than Butler in these playoffs other than maybe Booker. That's it. And they got shut down, by the way. We'll get into that. But – the fact of the matter is, Butler was playing at such an intense level that I don't think there wasn't anybody who was watching this Miami Heat team play go, you know what, man, they could make a run. They could. Now, I talked about the Boston Celtics and how I didn't know if there was enough for them there, but I'm telling you right now, this is a different look for Miami going in. 
Spolstra is well aware of what Jimmy Butler means to that basketball team. And if he's not back for game two or three or even four, it is the Knicks shot like a shark in the water who smells blood to be able to play aggressive defense, rebound, which is what they are the best at in the NBA to me, and what they've been really good at so far in these playoffs, that's what got them through round one, was aggressive defense and excellent rebounding. They could easily take this series. They could easily win the next three, four games in a row, no problem. Even if Jimmy Butler comes back to play, like I said, how healthy will he really be? He could actually hinder the Heat more than he would actually help them. It's a problem right now in Miami. I'm not normally one to jump the gun, but that's an issue. So we'll see how that goes. Uh, Last night, Golden State, they close it out. What a dominating performance. It, It looked like early on, Sabonis and company was going to take game seven and they were going to figure out a way to move on. The Warriors close out that series by winning four out of the next five games. Down 0-2, I had talked about it. The experience of that basketball team, Steph Curry wasn't going to lay down in that situation. The way that they came together for Draymond Green, you heard him talk about it in some of the interviews. I had already discussed that, and Draymond just confirmed it. It brought us together, my man, what happened with me and Sabonis. That's a tight-knit group of guys. Whether you understand how the Warriors function or not, it doesn't really matter. It's not for you to understand. It's for them to understand, and their understanding of each other is what gets them through moments like these. You better believe that the Warriors made the statement of the century. We are a team. We win together. We die together. We roll together. We lose together. We accomplish together. And when one of us gets some nonsense going on, it's like all of us did. And to quote Jordan, took that personally. And did they ever. They beat Sacramento in their own backyard. They backed Sacramento in a corner, and they were relentless and ended up blowing them out. That's all there is to that. Phoenix, whew, boy, do you want to talk about not a good look? Not a good look at all, as a matter of fact. That was the worst possible case scenario for Phoenix to open up against Denver and get licked the way that they did. Absolutely drummed. They couldn't do anything. 
I mean, they couldn't do anything. The Denver Nuggets absolutely put it on the Phoenix Suns. And I didn't see that coming. And despite the fact that Kevin Durant played so well, look, 29 points, 14 rebounds, you you can't ask for a whole hell of a lot more, can you? But that Nuggets team played like a team. Aaron Gordon stepped up. Jokic did his normal thing. He had another double-double. Jamal Murray played crazy, insane basketball. He was one assist away from a double-double, 34-9. and Then, of course, you had the bench. What was it, Brown? Didn't he have 14? Everybody was putting up numbers for the Denver Nuggets. The fact that Phoenix even got 100 in that game, uh, even with some garbage points going on, honestly, it kind of surprised me. I'm watching this. I'm just like, man, this is an ugly nightmare for the Phoenix Suns right now. CP3 was showing up at the beginning of the game, but as it went on, we just kind of saw playoff CP3, which is certainly not the type of way that you want to talk about that because playoff Jimmy Butler, for instance, is way different than playoff CP3. It's just not a good look. And I'm telling you right now, this was bad. If it's any indication of what Phoenix has to offer Denver, this series is going to end 4-1. Now, they got blown out, obviously, in the last series, right? They still end up winning that. So I'm not saying it's over-over. Kevin Durant's been here plenty of times. He's got a lot of experience. But mentally, what does this do to the Phoenix Suns? I've said repeatedly over and over again, at the beginning of the season, they were playing bully basketball, and we were starting to see a lot of that again in that first round of the playoffs. But the lack of transition game is catching up to them. They did very good in round number one. Do not forget, fast break points. The Suns only averaged 10 points a game in fast break, fast break points. The first game of the playoffs, they had 27 25, 27. So the fact of the matter is they need to get back to the defense that they were playing that helped them in that area because, again, they were bad at that going into game one against the Denver Nuggets. Just the transition game was awful for the Phoenix Suns. I want to see Landry Shaman in there more if I'm Phoenix simply because of their of the defense that he brings to the table and the running the floor. He was a big part of that in game number one. I don't know why he's not getting more minutes. Of course, conversely, if you're Denver, you don't need to do anything different. Jamal lit it up from the tray line. Again, nine assists for him on the night. Jokic's shooting wasn't the greatest, but where he lacked in points, he made up for it with rebounds. All 19 of them. Gordon was, what, 9 out of 13, I think, from the field? You just watch Denver and how they were setting themselves up and putting themselves in good positions. 
the team play, the defense, half-court offense, transition, whether it's defensively or offensively, they, they just played a complete ball game. And that's why they won, and it's pretty simple. Okay, This isn't some astronomical breakdown. This ain't quantum physics we're talking about here. We're talking about basketball, man, which I'm not saying is not complex. But for crying out loud, I've said a million times over, the basics win games. Jokic, 19 rebounds. Rebounding is a basic of basketball. By himself, 19 rebounds. That's how you win games. As far as tonight goes, NBA playoffs. Whew. I tell you what, the 76ers, world of hurt without Joel Embiid. Uh, still a game-time decision at this point, although Doc Rivers basically said, if I was a bet man, he ain't going to be in game one. Well, that game was in Boston, and I think it's a damn shame because, as I've said repeatedly, this is the best that I've ever seen James Harden play in the playoffs. Scoring the ball assist-wise, willing to kind of take a step back, let other guys really shine. And I think it's really unfortunate. I think it's just as heartbreaking for Joel Embiid as it is right now for Jimmy Butler. I just feel sorry for the guy. I really do. I think this was the ever seen really the Sixers look as a playoff team since Joel's been there. And they could be coming to a crash and halt. Now, Boston in the first round didn't play the best basketball that we've seen them play this season. That thing should have been a sweep. 4-0. Tatum finally stepped up. Jalen Brown playing out of his mind. You know, it's kind of one of those things where you're watching it and you're going, I'm, to me, I'm 50-50 on the Boston Celtics. But if Joel can't go, they should be able to take this series 4-1-4-2. James Harden doesn't have it in him. And there's just not enough firepower to go around for the 76ers, at least on a consistent basis. But then again, if I'm being absolutely fair, how good are the Hawks without Trey Young? I mean, they almost let a one-man show push them to the brink of a Game 7. So I'm none too impressed with Boston. So this series to me is a conundrum. I don't think there's really any easy way to break it down. Without Joel Embiid, I give it to Boston. If Embiid is able to go at some point, and I mean quick, <laughs> if he's able to go by at least game two, the 76ers stand a fighting chance. If they can figure out a way to steal a game in Boston tonight, Joel Embiid comes back for game two, they're okay, but... I take the Charles Barkley approach in this one, and I've been trying to tell people the same thing. Look, man, if he ain't going to be there for game one, I don't know how he's going to magically heal in a couple more days for game two. So either Joel plays injured or he just doesn't go in this series, if you ask me. So we'll see. Tonight is game two with the uh, Suns and Nuggets. I got to tell you, man, um, I think Phoenix bounces back to win this game. 
I do. I think they still won in Denver, but I don't think they win the series. I, I just think that between Murray, Gordon, Jokic, and the bench that they have, Brown and company with the Denver Nuggets, especially defensively what they're capable of, I, I just feel like there's just too much going on there. I don't think that CP3, unless he starts showing up, which we've seen him in the playoffs, he just disappears. Unless CP3 shows up consistently, they don't win this series. They need him to score the ball and distribute the rock. There's only so much everybody else can do. I love KD. I love Booker. But you get a double-double, you still lose by 18. (laughs) What do you do? Defensively, I don't know that they could do much, except for maybe in rebound situations, I'm telling one of my guys, and I'm doing everything I can to cloud it, disguise it, hide it, and that is I'm telling them immediately, as soon as the ball goes up in the air, I want you to take a couple steps back and get ready to head the other way and play some defense. Because I'm telling you what, the way the Nuggets run the floor, it just might be too much for the Phoenix Suns. We've again been one of the worst transition teams in all of basketball this year. Could be the difference in the game. All right, everybody. I am Drew Duncan. Facebook, Twitter, and Instagram is all at Drew Duncan Radio. You guys are checking me out live on Block50Radio.com. Facebook, Twitter, and Instagram is all at Block50Radio. Block50Radio.com is 24-7. You can listen live. And, of course, if you miss anything on Block50Radio.com, head on over to the podcast where we are wherever you are listening. iTunes, Spreaker, Deezer. Spotify, Google Podcasts, etc. Wherever you are listening, we are there. And as always, stay safe and take care of yourselves.